this morning, and I will do my best to get connected here. Is that better? It's just red, so just go to the pulpit mic, and I'll try to stay in one. That's hard for me to do, so pray for me all the more. But I'll try to stay right here this morning. Uh, again, looking forward to our service tonight and hope if you haven't already reached out to someone that you've not seen over the last few weeks here at Bible Baptist or perhaps as we've talked about before, someone maybe you haven't seen since we've gone through the pandemic uh, let's reach out to those people. We've got a few more hours this afternoon, and we will see a wonderful thing happen here in the house of the Lord this evening. If you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. In just a moment, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4, and we'll read down through verse 7. Let me remind you, while you're turning to the book of Galatians, that this is a very important letter in the New Testament written under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul. To set it in its context, I would remind you that the Apostle Paul had just wrapped up his first missionary journey, and he had come back to Antioch, and he was there for about a year and a half, and all of a sudden, he began to hear reports that the churches that were established in the region of Galatia, if you were to look on a modern map, that would be in modern-day Turkey, about the central part of the country. And so he had received information that the churches there in Galatia had fallen into some false teaching. And false doctrine. Of course, you know that it was the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul to preach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus alone. But what he was hearing really troubled him because the reports were saying that the churches in Galatia were beginning to reject salvation through Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. As it were, there were a group of what we would call Judaizers that were spreading false information among those churches, and they were teaching that it's not just enough to have faith in Christ. Could I say in parentheses this morning, I am so thankful that my salvation and my eternal security rests in Christ and Christ alone. I'm not good enough to get it, and I'm certainly not good enough to keep it. It's all about Jesus. And so the report from Galatia was that there was this group teaching that Paul was wrong. It's not enough just to have faith in Christ, but you must join that with works of the law. And so this whole little letter that we call the book of Galatians, Paul is just round by round, word by word, taking on that erroneous thought. And out of that discourse comes one of the great Christological passages 
in all of the New Testament here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where Paul talks about the way he came, the way Jesus Christ came. And I hope and I pray this morning that walking through these verses will just open up our hearts and set the stage for a wonderful, theological, and spiritually blessed Christmas. Let's read it together. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, praise his name, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son an heir of God through Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your word this morning. Father, I want to praise you that you're a God who not only inspired this word that we read together this morning many centuries ago, but you're a God who through the power of your Holy Spirit has preserved this word to the point that we can read it this morning and allow it, Father, to make its way into our hearts and change the way we think and the way we live. I pray, Father, that you would use this passage and anoint the preaching of it, I pray, Lord, to set the stage for a great week leading up to Christmas, Christmas Eve next Sunday and Christmas, Eve, uh, Christmas Day next Monday. I pray that you would be glorified by our moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1944, and the place was Kansas City. There was a group of leaders of a company arranged around a table in a conference room, and the CEO of the company gave them a challenge. He said, men... We need a new slogan for our company. And these were the days before companies used publicists and people like that that you pay a lot of money to to come up with creative ways to think about your work and your product. And so he said, I want you guys to go back to your offices and at your desk over the next couple of hours before we come back together, right before our lunch break, I want you to take this index card and write on it what you think might become a good slogan for our company. And so the men broke. They went to their offices. A couple hours later, they came back together. And here's a name that you probably won't recognize, but I promise you most of you will recognize the words that he wrote down on that little index card. His name was C.E. Goodman, and here are the nine words that he wrote on his card that became the slogan for that company. Simply this, when you care enough to send the very best. You've heard those words before, right? Because all the way back in 1944, 
A man wrote them down on an index card. They became a phrase which ultimately was the slogan for the Hallmark Card Company. And from that point all the way down to today, when you think about Hallmark or maybe even watch a commercial or hear uh, a radio advertisement for Hallmark, those words are included when you care enough to send the very best. Well, my friend, Christmas is all about a God who cared enough enough to send his very best. And when God looked down and God saw your need and my need of a Savior, he didn't send an emissary from heaven. He didn't send another angel or another prophet when the moment was right. God didn't just simply send a saint from heaven, but he sent his very best, the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God, God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see here is in this letter, the letter of Galatians, Paul says over and over and over again that Jesus, God's very best, is enough I want you to listen to me closely today. Jesus is enough for you. If you had no other blessing in life, and we have all kinds of other blessings, and we're grateful for them this morning, but I'm saying to you, if we had no other blessing in life, Jesus Christ and salvation through him is enough because he came at just the right way. As we walk through these verses of Scripture, I want to say three things and pull these out of the writing of the Apostle Paul that explains just exactly the way that our Savior came into this world. Let me say, first of all, that Jesus came at the right moment. Did you notice what Paul wrote early in verse 4? He said, when the fullness of the time had come, it was at that precise moment that God sent forth his son. What is the right moment? You know, all through life we make decisions and we think about next steps. And as we order our steps, we think about, well, what is the right moment to do this? Or when should I do that? I want you to see that God at the very right moment sent Jesus into the womb of the Virgin Mary. And at the right moment in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth. Well, you've heard this many times, but I think it's well worth repeating. Our Lord is always on time. He is an on-time God. He's never early. He's never late, but he is always on time. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says, when the time had fully come. What I want you to see is that God, being sovereignly and providentially in control, he had prepared this world strategically for that moment when Jesus would come when the time had fully come speaks to God's preparation of the world. Our Savior 
was born into a world that from the human perspective was controlled by the Romans. And if you've ever studied the history of the Romans, and particularly the height, the zenith of their power when the Roman Empire was fully entrenched, you know that the Romans of all people thought they were in control. In fact, history is replete with people who were punished or lost their lives because they would begin to say things like, no, Rome is not in control, but we're in control. Well, I want you to understand that empires come and go, but God is always in control. We need to remember that. Whatever is happening in our lives, when you turn on the news and you begin to hear reports about nations and countries and provinces, they're not really in control. God is in control. And God has a plan that will not be thwarted. And I want you to understand that God was using the Roman Empire for that strategic moment when Jesus Christ would come into the world. If you've studied Roman history, you're probably familiar with the Latin term Pax Romana. It simply means the peace of Rome. Now, when you think about Rome and their wars and the way they handled some of the outposts of their empire, you might would say these were not peaceful people at all, but when they were in control... They wanted to make sure that the areas they controlled were peaceful, that there weren't regional skirmishes, that there weren't areas or small city-states that would fight within their area and with one another that would destroy their peace. They were people who emphasized that there there ought to be peace so that there would be good trade systems so that there would be good education, there would be good communication. And so Jesus came into the world at a relatively peaceful time all over the world, and that's exactly why the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, this gospel that you and I believe and preach and teach today, it's why it could spread all over the world at that time, because it was a time of relative peace. Not only was there Pax Romana, but you've heard this phrase before, all roads lead to Rome, the Roman roads. In fact, one of our favorite ways to share the gospel picks up on that terminology. You know, the book of Romans itself has some very defining statements about sin and what it means to be a sinner and how a sinner can make his or way to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call that system of sharing the gospel the Roman road. Some of you have learned how to share your faith through the Roman road. But the Roman roads were incredible. The Romans came throughout all of that empire and they did build great roads that would take things to and from the very nerve center of the empire, Rome itself. And so there were roads like the world had never known. In my travels over to that part of the country, I could take you to places where you can look today and you can still see 
how the Roman road in that area was laid out. And so people could travel like they had never traveled before. And so when you read the story of Jesus and how the gospel, again, began to spread. I've already mentioned the Apostle Paul and his first missionary journey. The reason those early missionaries like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and then later Paul and Silas, the reason they were able to get out to those places like Athens and Corinth and Galatia and Philippi is because the Romans came and they made a road system over which the gospel could spread. And so the time had fully come. It was a time of relative peace. It was a time of a better road system. It was a time of a common language. Before the time of the Romans, everybody all over that part of the world basically just spoke their indigenous language, whatever language. They had grown up knowing, but people began to realize with the Romans in control, the Romans had taken the Greek language and made it their language. And so if you were going to prosper, if you were going to trade, if you were going to be informed and somewhat educated, you had to know the Greek language. And so, beloved, when we open up our Bibles to the Gospels, all the way through the book of Revelation, each and every one of those were originally written in what? The Greek language. And so those letters, like the letter to the church at Galatia, those beautiful stories like the Gospels, those beautiful chronologies of history like the book of Acts, men of God through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, could write it in the Greek language, and then they could be sent out to those places, and those places could send them to other places, and everybody would begin to learn and hear and know the Word of God. And so when the fullness of time had come, that speaks to God's preparation of the world, sending the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to also understand that the fullness of time speaks to God's prophecies. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've waded pretty deeply into two Old Testament prophecies. We started in the book of Micah, in Micah 5.2, where 750 years before Jesus was ever born, Micah said that Bethlehem would be the place. And we learned how he used that language, Bethlehem, Ephratah, and what that meant to the life and the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there we found a prophecy of the Lord's coming. The last couple of weeks, we've waded pretty deeply into Isaiah chapter 9 that talked about who Jesus would be, how the Messiah would come, the names of the Lord Jesus, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. We learned that through prophecies, but as I've told you before, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, and each and every one of them 
pointed toward the coming of Jesus Christ. Someone counted, as I've said to you, 365 of them. So one for each day of the year. Over and over and over again, God placed it within the heart of an Old Testament prophet who would say, Jesus Christ is on his way. But I want you to understand that the day came when the prophecies ceased. And for 400 years, those intertestamental years, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years, it seemed like God was silent. For 400 years, no prophet would arise and no messianic prophecy would come. For 400 years, it was like a pause. Now, when we think about 400 years, we think about that being a long time. How many of you would agree that 400 years to our perspective is an awfully long time? I would think so. But may I remind you, not to God. The Bible tells us that to the Lord, one day to Him is like a thousand years to us. And so God was holding this world in anticipation. Friday night, I got to travel over to Prestonsburg to see some of my friends who perform over there in the Kentucky Opry. And I would suggest to you, if you've never been, I know we've got a great thing going on here in Renfro Valley, but if you've never been to Prestonsburg to the Mountain Arts Center and the Kentucky Opry, I would suggest sometime you go. They are really, really good at what they do there. And I, and I remember at the end of the first part of the program, they ended it with a really rich theological Christmas song entitled The Little Drummer Boy. I'm kidding, right? I'm not kidding that they ended that section with that song. And I understand the song. Don't get me wrong. I, I get it. You know, the, the gist of the song is, here's somebody that wants to give his best for Jesus. And so Mary said, play the drum for him. I don't think there was a drum there. We talked about this last Wednesday night. But I say all that to say this. They built and they built and they built on that song. And all of a sudden... The lights went out, and there was silence for just a few seconds. And then, boom, the drum started going, and the lights came up. And so you understand that in, in theater and in music and in all different types of art forms, people will use that. There will be a pause, and then all of a sudden, you get hit hard with the real thing. And I want you to look at this quite like that. God, over and over again through the Old Testament, had said, my son is coming. The Messiah is on his way. It's like the writer of Hebrews writes. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God in the past spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
I want you to understand, the prophets were gone. The prophecies ceased. 400 years passed, and God's ultimate final word came through the Lord Jesus Christ. At just the right moment, Jesus came. I love the words of one of my hero preachers that's now gone on to be with the Lord, Dr. E.V. Hill, African-American preacher who pastored the great Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. He was the first to do this. And Dr. Hill said that in the Old Testament, Jesus was predicted. But in the New Testament, Jesus is presented. And my, how he is presented. In Matthew, he is Christ the Son of the living God. In Mark, He's the miraculous Messiah. In Luke, He's Son of Man. In John, He is the bread of life. In Acts, He's Paul's light on the Damascus road. In Romans, He's our justifier. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, He's the Lord who commands order. In His church, in Galatians, He's our freedom. In Philippians, He's our joy. In Colossians, He's the head of the church. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, He's the bridegroom returning for His bride. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, He's the subject of the young preacher. In Titus, He's our blessed hope. In Philemon, He's hope for the runaway. In Hebrews, He's our great high priest. In James, He's the giver of perfect gifts. In 1st and 2nd Peter, He is the chief corner stone. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, He is love, light, and life. In Jude, He's the Lord returning with ten thousands of His saints. And in Revelation, He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrected Lamb slain before the foundation of the Lord world. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is Jesus. At the right time, at the right time, at the right moment, Jesus Christ came into this dark, sin-filled, iniquity-smitten world. He came at the right moment. But let me point out to you also this morning that Jesus came in the right manner. Paul writes and he says, God sent forth his Son. We've already looked at this fact. The fact that God sent him means that he is not just a man, but he is God. He is a man of divinity. In other words, Jesus is the God-man. God sent forth his Son. But notice the manner in which he comes. Born of a woman, born under the law. Again, just a quick reminder, we see in this the Lord Jesus' divinity. God sent His Son. I know I say the verse a lot, but it's a verse we ought to say a lot. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, church, that He did what? He gave. God gave. When we exchange gifts which are just tokens of our affection with our fellow men, with our family members, with our neighbors, our friends, when we exchange those gifts 
over the next few days, we are pointing to the fact that these just represent the greatest gift. And that greatest gift is God's gift to the world. The Lord gave his son. But this son that God gave was born under a woman. A virgin conceived. And that conception that took place within her was not a natural conception. It was overshadowed by God the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit planted His Son within the womb of that virgin girl Mary. And so Paul writes and he says, made of a woman, made under the law. We've quoted this verse already, but listen to it again. 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And isn't it though? The mystery that surrounds the coming of the Lord Jesus. Paul writes and he says, He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached on among the nations, was believed in the world, and was taken up to glory. Jesus came, you see, in the right manner. He defined God for humanity that needed to see God. I love that final verse of the beloved Christmas carol, O come all ye faithful. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, the essence of the Father, now in flesh appearing. You see, God gave His Son, and He gave His Son in the right manner, born to a fleshly woman, born under the law. You see, in first century Israel, in those days when Jesus walked and talked among humanity to be right with God, you had to have faith, but that faith was expressed by your maintenance of the law. Have you read Leviticus lately? <laughs> Probably not. It's one that I don't read all that often, but every now and then, let me tell you, New Testament believer, you ought to go back and you ought to read what would be placed upon you, the burden that would be placed upon you to be right with God through the law. I'm thankful we sing the old hymn, Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus has bled and there is remission. Amen. But Jesus was born under the law, the infinite became an infant, and he grew up under the law, tempted, just like you're tempted and like I'm tempted, yet he never sinned. But he could do all of that 
because he came in just the right manner. You see, if God had just sent the Spirit of Jesus, he could not have fulfilled the law's demand. But Jesus didn't come as just a spirit. He came just like you and I experience life. He was a spirit who had a soul, and that soul was placed within a body. Praise be to God, it was a perfect body that knew no sin, became our ultimate sacrifice on the cross so that we could become the children of God. And aren't you thankful that one day, beloved, when we get to be with God, we'll see him in all of his glory and we'll see him in his body with pierced hands and pierced feet and a wounded side but glorified forever and forever and forever. Jesus came at the right moment. He came in the right manner. Let me show you this as we close. Jesus came for the right motive. Notice what Paul writes in verse 5. I love this. He says to redeem. Everybody say that word with me. Here we go. Redeem. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. I love that word redeem. We talk about being redeemed. We sing about being redeemed. But I remember the first time I noticed the word redeem outside of the context of the church. Again, in our gospel messages and gospel lessons and gospel songs, I constantly heard the word redeem. But I remember the first time I saw it somewhere else. I've got to tell you just, just a quick little story. When Brother Allen was a little boy, I know this is very hard for you to believe, he wasn't always nice. He was a little boy, like other little boys. And so every Friday afternoon, my mother and my mamma would go get their groceries at the A&P. I know that dates me. Y'all remember the A&P supermarket? So mom and mamma would go to the A&P, and they did well. They, they knew how to make sure I would behave because every now and then, I guess if I was having a testy day, mom and mamma would say, okay, if you'll be good and be nice and sit in the buggy while we do our shopping, when we check out, you can keep the S&H green stamps. If you don't know what S&H green stamps are, Google it. You'll find out. But they'd say that. If you'll be nice today, you can keep the S&H green stamps. And so I had my little book. Y'all remember that, don't you? The little book. And so I'd get my S&H green stamps, and, you know, I'd, I'd put them. You know, they came in different increments as far as value. One would be worth 50, 25, 20, 10, all of those things. 
and you'd moisten the back of that stamp and you'd put it at those places in those little frames in the book. I had to be nice for a long time because it took me a long time to fill out my book. But you know how it worked at, in Somerset, where I grew up through my early childhood, we had an S&H green stamp store over on East Mount Vernon Street. And mom and mamma would go in there often and look at the things they had. They had mainly things for the home and stuff that the ladies would like, but they had one shelf on the back wall that had some things that I liked. A new basketball or football or board game or something like that. And so I, I remembered for a long time there was a certain thing that had caught my eye. And finally, I was good enough, long enough, and I got that last stamp, and I put it down in the back of that book, and I turned over the page, and down in fine print on that last page in the back, you know what it said? It said, you can now take your S&H green stamp book to the S&H green stamp store and redeem it. You can take this book and redeem it. And I'm so curious about that. And here's what it meant. It meant that this book represented a whole lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of payment and now you can take it, even though the book itself really isn't worth a dime. You can take it, turn it in, and bring home with you a treasure. That's what it means. Theologically speaking, that word redeem takes you back to the ancient slave block. And occasionally there would be someone who would come along and, and a slave would be out there on the slave block offered to be sold to the highest bidder. And, and a redeemer occasionally would come and he would pay the highest price for that slave and then take him and set him free. Well, my friend, I want you to understand this. That old green stamp book it's not even a worthy comparison of all the time and of all the effort and of all the expense God gave to redeem my soul you see I too and you too were slaves on the auction block, bound up and chained up by sins. But I'm saying to you, one came who broke the chains. And now the chains are gone. And in Christ, I am free. And in Christ, you are free. No longer a slave to sin. But now... A son, a child of God. And because you're sons, because you're daughters of God, Paul writes and he says, the Spirit of His Son 
has been sent into your heart. Jesus in his spirit lives within you and cries out to a holy God, Abba, Father. Daddy, you see, no longer are we afraid of God. Now there is a reverential fear. Don't have time to talk about that. We respect God. We honor his holiness by our personal holiness. We get all of those things. But we can approach a holy God not out of fear, but out of the spirit of being sons and daughters. Paul says, therefore, you're no longer a slave. You've been redeemed. You're no longer an outsider. You're no longer an outcast. But you're a son. You're a daughter. And if a child of God, then you're an heir of God through Christ. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Join heirs with Jesus. As we travel this sod, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm talking to you this morning about a Jesus who came at the right moment, in the right manner, for the right motive. And that motive is to do for you what you can never do for yourself, to redeem you to set you free, and to make you his child. There may be somebody here this morning, and you do not know this Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never received him into your heart. And today, as the old preachers would say, I want to tell you, you're living beneath your privilege. You have a privilege today to come to Jesus to be saved by Jesus, to know that you know that you know that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life and that you have heaven for your future and you have joy and purpose and meaning for this life right now. Why would you not come to Jesus? Out of your sin, out of your sorrow and night, come, come, come to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and... You have come to Jesus, and you know that you're saved, but today the difficulties of the world around you just just have you hurting. Understand that. There are those moments when we just have to stop, and we just have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to remind us whose we are. We're His. We're His today. Perhaps you just need to come and bow down and honor Him and give Him praise and say, Thank you, Lord, that I'm redeemed. Thank you, Lord, that I'm yours and you're mine. Oh, what a privilege Christmas is. And oh, how we need to celebrate today. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, our musicians are coming. We're going to sing a stanza or so of a hymn of invitation. And if you need to come, come. Step out today. 
I'll take God's word and share with you how you can be rightly related to him through Jesus. Come and just bask in the good news of the gospel today. Seeing the price that God has paid for you, perhaps you just need to come and tell him thanks. Whatever your need is today, would you come? Would you come? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for this Christ whom we celebrate. And thank you, Father, for the greatness of what you've done for us through him. Father, if there's one today that needs to come to be saved, if there's one that needs to come and just rejoice in you because of their salvation, Father, I pray that we would just let you have your way and your will in our hearts and lives. I ask it in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.